Okay, you're all quiet. <clears throat> okay, so here's the deal. First of all, let's see. Let me say this. Um, take notes if you have any questions because it's a really fascinating topic. Hopefully, we'll have some good questions and answers. But I'm just, I'm not an expert on this. I've just done a fair amount of reading and watched a bunch of videos and stuff. There's a lot of information out there right now. Um, and it's a topic where Sharissa was loading all this stuff into me, in for me and on media, and Kyle's back there running it, and she's running youth. But So we got to be talking for about 40 minutes, tons of questions. And I meant, man, Sharissa, you need to be in the, in the service because they're really interesting to talk about, to think about. So if you have any, ask them because it's just... Um, you know, this is going to be another key on your tool belt. Honestly, you go over a topic like this, and it's really inspiring for people to learn the truth about something like this. So what I want to do tonight is equip you so the next time someone says, I'm just going to go to hell with all my friends and have a big beer party, you'll be saying, you hear that a lot. It's like it's the most gross, grotesque, awful place of torment. I can't believe you're saying that. Let's talk. You know, because they just really haven't thought about it. And so thinking about heaven and hell makes people think, like, I don't know about you guys. I'm looking around the room. Probably in 50, 60, 70 years, none of us are going to be here. I mean, life is pretty fast. 50 years. Bob and I have been married 50 years this summer. It's going by really fast. Has it, sweetie? Yes? Because <clears throat> we're having so much fun. But, you know, another 50 years, look how fast it's going by. We're not going to be here. Someone else is going to be in your house. Someone else is going to be wearing your jewelry. Someone else is going to be walking down your street. It won't be you. So, like, let's get this together and get it right because eternity is a long time to spend in the wrong place. Okay. So, admit it or not, you know, the death rate is still 100%. We're all going someday one place or the other, so let's get it right. And when you study this topic, you find out that just going over this topic and talking about it, a lot of people, a lot of skeptics have been convinced of heaven just on this topic alone. And, and mainly a lot of doctors, which you're going to find out in a minute here. It's been pretty interesting. So the Bible has a lot to say about it. Matter of fact, I was hoping Daddy Mendez would be here tonight. He goes, well, there's only one person that's been risen from the dead, and that was Jesus. And I go, well, there's 10 documented cases in the Bible alone, let alone Lazarus. He goes, oh, yeah, Lazarus. But there's a lot. And when Jesus was resurrected and went up, they saw the old saints walk in the streets. I mean, there's a lot of near-death experiences. If you ever read Bonke's stuff, if you ever read Wigglesworth, he brought, what, 26 people back from the dead. Trust me, they all had a story to tell. I talked to two people today, Susan being one of them and somebody else, who had an NDE. I mean, they're out there when you start talking to people about them. So that's kind of interesting. And according, according to Gallup, Eight million people have had near-death experiences. Eight million, yeah. But they didn't stop talking, start talking about it until um, recently, and I'll tell you why. But the problem is um, most of the people who've had them were very intimidated when they started coming up. And they just thought the doctor or their friends would think that they were crazy. It's like, yeah, you've been to heaven, and yeah, you saw family members, and yeah, you saw an angel. They just didn't even believe them. So they didn't want to say anything. So... The history of how this has come about recently again, I mean, Wigglesworth put it out, Bob, what, in the 40s and 50s? Wigglesworth and Bonky was, like, up to date, and he was very um, boisterous about telling people about raising the dead in his ministries. It's pretty cool. If you ever read his autobiography, it's very neat. But the modern progression has only been since the 40s. So let me give it to you really fast. It's very interesting. I think you'll find it um, fascinating story of doctors. You know, I, I love doctors, but I always say they're, they're practicing medicine. 
They have the facts. God has the truth. God will love them. <clears throat> but they don't have it all together. But they are the most skeptical. So what happened, there was a guy in 1943 named George Ritchie. He was in the military. He was like 20 years old. He wanted to be a doctor. He got very sick before he got deployed. I think it was double pneumonia that took him out, but he died. So he had an NDE, went to heaven, the whole experience, wrote a book on it, and um, came back. And when he got back in his body, I, he was the first book I read on this. And for years, he volunteered for every dangerous mission in the military because he wanted to get blown up so he could go back to heaven. And so they would go, we need like three volunteers for a really dangerous mission. He's like this. Pick me, pick me. But, you know, try as he might, uh, he never got blown up. And he went through a lot of depression. I mean, he really wanted to die really bad. But he didn't. He became a doctor. And, but he wrote this. He, he, it's on your sheet. From that loneliest moment of my existence, I leaped into the most perfect belonging I'd ever known. The light of Jesus had entered my life and filled it completely. And the idea of being separated from him was more than I can bear. And it really was. He just could hardly bear not being in heaven, and he struggled with it for years and years. But when he came back, he, and he eventually wrote a book, but he was convinced of two things. So, Kyle, if you give me that first overhead, if I can see him up here. Hold on. There it is. Number one, that our consciousness does not cease with physical death, that it becomes, in fact, keener and more aware than ever. And how we spend our time on earth, the kind of relationships we build, is vastly infinitely more important than we can know. And that I want to emphasize. When I finished reading my second book on this, I closed the book and I thought, how I treat people and how I love people and care about them supersedes anything, anything. Every single person that died and went to heaven, Jesus would say, did you love people like I love them? Did you care about them? Did you minister to people? That was the number one question. And so, I mean, this is a book that will change not only how you see heaven, I will talk about it in a minute, but, but how, um, how you treat people. So you've got to read it every so often so you start being nicer. Whenever I, whenever I study this topic, I go, I've got to be nicer to Bob. I've got to be nicer to my kids. Don't be mad at the dogs. Just be nice. But it, you know, it takes a lot of patience. So, um, yeah. So George Ritchie... Uh, grows up, becomes a doctor, and he's lecturing on near-death experiences. But back then, what they called him, very interesting, was post-mortem survival. That's what they called it, which I actually like the term better, but it's PMS. So I think that term was already taken. But I think, huh, it's like, oh, we don't need more people having PMS. I'm sorry, but I thought, I think post-mortem survival is a better term than near-death experiences because in NDEs, they really do die. It isn't near-death. They're, they're dead. But anyway, doctor, a guy named Dr. Raymond Moody goes to hear Dr. George Ritchie talk on this, and he's thinking, I've never heard of this ever, ever. And so he goes to his students. He's a teacher and doctor, and he said, would you start asking patients and people if they've ever had a post-mortem experience? Well, they all come back, and they're going, they're everywhere. I mean, hundreds of them. He just couldn't believe it. And so this guy, Dr. Moody, is the one that coined the phrase in 1975, near-death experiences. I don't know why he changed it. He thought it was better. So we're, they are NDEs. And then he wrote the bestseller called Life After Life. And this is what he said about it overhead. My hope for this book is that it will draw attention to a phenomenon that is very widespread and very well hidden which, again, is too bad because people have been very inspired on this topic to get saved. So he writes the book Life After Life. Four years later, this guy named John Burke, he's not saved, doesn't like God, 
He's studying engineering, and his father is dying of cancer. So he goes home to sit by his dad's bedside. He's sitting there, and he notices on the nightstand this Life After Life book. And he goes, no, I'm not doing anything else. You know, talk to my dad, sitting here for a few days. So he picks up the book, reads it cover to cover. And when he's finished, he's stunned, stunned. Again, this is a non-believer, godless man. And he says this, if there's even a shadow of a chance that this is true, I'd better find out because nothing is more important. So what he does, he keeps studying engineering, but now he's studying God. I mean, it's totally just got his interest, and he's looking into these NDEs. So eventually, he stops studying engineering <clears throat> and becomes a pastor, which happens a lot. When people get so enthralled in this, they go, everybody's got to hear this message. So now, John Burke is a pastor, and he's out there. And so as he studied, he found out that most people have a terrible terrible misconception of heaven that is the main disconnect he found out so <clears throat> just to ask you guys for 10 seconds i want you to close your eyes and i want you to imagine what do you think heaven looks like okay you ready go okay <clears throat> got it did all of you, like, imagine something? They're all just looking at me. You were supposed to, like, this is what I think about heaven. Okay, so this is what he wrote, what most people think. At best, it's a cloudy, disembodied, non-physical experience, maybe with love and joy, no suffering sprinkled in. But if we're honest, we really don't get excited about it. We can't imagine liking it, liking it. At worst, people think of it as an endless, boring church service Singing songs you're not excited about forever. That sounds awful. But that's what John Burke goes, this is what most people think heaven is. Now, how many of you kind of thought that was it? Boring. Okay, well, most people do. So this is what he said about it. But how we think about heaven affects everything in life. How we prioritize love, how willing we are to sacrifice for the long term, how we view suffering, what you fear or don't fear. I'm convinced we can't even begin to picture how magnificent, how spectacular, get this, how much fun heaven will be, how much of what we love about this life awaits us in eternity. So his conclusion, heaven is going to be a blast. It is going to be over and above what you could ever imagine, ask, or think. It's going to be amazing. So he was convinced. There's so many people live a materialistic, like for-the-moment life, because they have no concept of heaven or laying up treasures in heaven. And, and the Bible says, Jesus, over and over, lay up treasures in heaven where moth and dust can't corrupt them. Put your stuff there. Put your stuff there. There's even when you study beam of judgment, Connie might remember this, um, there's a lot of wreath crowns, and you will be judged, not you will be salvation first, but then your life will be judged, your time, your talents, what you did with your money, and um, you'll be rewarded. There are places in heaven, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, but one of them, one of the verses Paul has, he goes, um, what is my, like, what is my crown except you? People, having people there that he ministered to and saw saved. So I think we're going to get to heaven and go, part of the treasure we lay up in heaven is, you're, you're here because I ministered to you. You're here because I invited you to church. You're here because I told you you don't want to go to hell. Matter of fact, is Steve here? That's Steve's testimony. A guy had... A guy kept inviting Steve to church, and he kept blowing him off. And finally, one night, I got this right, Steve. The guy goes, I just don't want you to go into hell, bro. It scared Steve enough. He's in church the next day. 
Well, work, work, right? You're here. Yeah. So, I mean, that guy's going to be looking for Steve in heaven going, Jesus saved you, but, you know, I got your in heaven, in, into church. Okay. So we, we can't imagine what heaven is like or hell, and so we don't live for it. We don't tell people about it. They just think it's a big beer party. But this is what the heroes, when you read the 11th chapter of Hebrews, this is what they said. They, they did live for it. It said if they had wanted to, they could have gone back to the good things of this world. But they didn't want to. They were living for heaven. And now God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has made a heavenly city for them. And so they live with an eye on heaven. And so when they die and go to heaven, what, is, what does Jesus say? Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. I mean, that's what, that's what I want to hear. Life's short enough. That's what I need. And so now, modern medicine, it's like, you know, back then, I kind of wondered in the Old Testament, because you hear, even in the New Testament, they prayed for people, and people were risen from the dead. But how many believed enough to pray for dead people? Anybody here prayed for anybody dead? I'm with you. I did one. It was very intimidating. It was at Loma Linda. <clears throat> the doctor sent somebody else in to watch while we prayed. It was, it, was, it was harder than it looks, to be honest with you. But listen, honestly, I wouldn't have been surprised if this little boy drowned. And I wouldn't have been surprised if he would have, like, kind of batted his eyes and, <coughs> and come to, but, but he didn't. But I think a lot of it is because people aren't brave enough to pray. It's like, this is not this kid's time. I knew it wasn't. We're going to pray this kid back, back in. I would have done it a little bit differently. It's been, like, 20 years or so. But um, I think we should be doing it more often. But doctors are doing it, even non-believing doctors, a lot. It's like, quick, the person crashed on the table. Let's get the, you know, stock them back in. They're believing more than we are to bring people back. So we got to be doing that. So, again, we have to le live with the eye in eternity and just motivate us to just a different level of ministering to people. C.S. Lewis said this, if you read history, you'll find that Christians who did the most for this present world were those who thought most of the next. And I absolutely agree with that. There was an interesting story of a gal... <coughs> Her name was Vicky. She was blind as from birth, from birth. And so funny thing is people would always ask her, like, so, like, you just see black? They kept their asking, you just see black? She goes, I don't see anything. I mean, every time I go to the story, I close my eyes and go, okay, let's say I'm blind from birth. Like, what do I think I see? I mean, how do you think anything about it? Nothing. So she goes, I don't see anything. I, I don't know what that means. And so <clears throat> she's 22. She's in a van. They're in a gnarly accident. She's thrown from the van taken to the hospital, she dies. So they resuscitate her, they bring her back, she has an NDE. So the doctor asked her this, he goes, we asked her a number of questions exactly how Jesus looked, because she came back, I saw family, I saw, I saw, I saw, I saw. So I saw Jesus, she's a believer. And so they asked how Jesus looked, how certain his identity, she described a bearded man, shoulder length hair, piercing eyes, wearing a robe with a sash, and bright light came out of him. It was pretty cool. And again, they couldn't say, you didn't really see him. She didn't see anything until she died and went to heaven and came back. Now, granted, when she came back, she was still blind, but she wasn't blind in heaven. So I think that's a pretty darn cool story. So the interesting part when you study all this stuff and when you look over the sheet I gave you on reading, um, a lot of the people who've written these books were doctors, skeptical doctors. And they were some of the best researchers on this topic to, to look it over and go, I'm like the guy that wrote Ben-Hur. I'm going to prove this wrong. This is just stupid. So one of those guys was a guy named Michael Sabin. He was a cardiologist. He heard all about this, and he thought, this is just a bunch of nonsense. I know it's not real. Um, 
I'm going to start asking my, my patients if they ever had had such a thing happen. Again, a cardiologist. Boy, did he get an earful. For five years, <laughs> people came out of the woodwork. I didn't want to say anything, but. I didn't want to say anything, but. So he ends up writing a book called Recollection of Death. Recollections. S hundreds of stories from interviews that he did as a doctor. And he said the thing that nailed it for him was all these people, um, they were like gone. And he was there in a lot of them. And they get the paddles out, and they were dead. But he said, they could tell me the entire experience, conversations in the ORs, bringing the paddles in, things that I was yelling for. One, one guy told him, by the way, on the, on the, um, the top floor of the uh, hospital, of the roof, there's a blue tinny sitting up there. I mean, they had these out-of-body experiences that you just can't deny. It's like, and you were talking about this, and somebody told them to go get my husband, and it's like, yeah, but you were dead. Like, he had the paddles on you, you know? So he, he was absolutely convinced it happened. Another guy, Dr. Maurice Rawlings, uh, big atheist, didn't know God, didn't want to know God, um, had a patient in, in his 40s in 1977, and he had this guy in the treadmill. So they're doing the treadmill, doing the treadmill. The guy drops dead. So three nurses rush in. They get the guy. They put him on the table. They're trying to resuscitate him over and over, and he'd come to and go, I'm in hell, I'm in hell, pray for me. And it's like, shut up, we're trying to save your life. And he'd go back to hell again. And he'd come to again and go, save me, save me, I'm in hell. He goes, shut up, we're trying to save your life. Down, down again. And finally he comes up and he goes, say the prayer with me. I'm. And so this Maurice Rawlings wasn't a, in Jesus' name, blah, 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 blah. So better than me tell you all this, because it's a pretty cool story. Kyle, would you show this video? I didn't believe in God, let alone an afterlife. But that belief quickly changed one evening in 1977. I was monitoring a patient of mine, a guy aged 40, whilst he carried out an ECG stress test. There and then, in my office, he had a cardiac arrest and dropped dead to the floor. Three nurses rushed in and began CPR, whilst I started external heart massage, but it wouldn't maintain its own beat. I had to insert a pacemaker wire down through the large vein. The patient began coming to, but whenever I reached for instruments or interrupted chest compressions, he would lose consciousness again, stop breathing, and die one more time. But the terrifying thing was this. Each time he came around and began respiration, he would scream I'm in hell. I'm in and hell. plead with me not to quit. This literally scared the hell out of me. Every time I quit, I was sending him back there. He looked petrified. After this happened a few times, I dismissed his complaint and told him to keep his hell to himself until I was finished fitting the pacemaker. But the man was beyond serious. How do I stay out of hell? Pray for me. Pray for him? I thought. I was a doctor, not a preacher. Pray for me. He repeated. It was a dying man's request. As I continued working, I took my mind back to Sunday school and had the man repeat a prayer asking Jesus to save him and turn his life around. It wasn't complicated. And with that, his condition stabilized. I asked the patient a couple of days later to explain what he saw in hell. But he remembered nothing, as if it was wiped from his memory. He did, however, remember everything after the prayer. Seeing us work on his body, a pleasurable experience of brilliant light, lush vegetation in a narrow valley and meeting his deceased family, his stepmother and birth mother 
who had died when he was just 15 months old. The whole experience changed everything I ever believed. So that was Maurice Rawlings. So he ends up writing a book called Beyond Death's Door. But he does say this. I think I have an overhead for this. Not all death experiences are good. The unpleasant experiences in my study have turned out to be at least as frequent as the pleasant ones. And again, you meet so many people who it's like, we're just going to go to hell, have a party. All my buddies are going to be there. Remember the, the song, um, Don't Want to Go to Texas? How's that go? If it's not a lot like heaven, dun, 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 heaven's, not, heaven's not a lot like Texas, then I don't want to go there. I, every time I hear that, I go, what are you thinking? Like, who, who did that? But the interesting thing is this. You will find out that people who even have that thought, like, I'm just going to he- go to hell and have a big party, they will be interested in this topic. They are. And in their gut, I'm telling you, in their inner man, they are petrified to go there. And when you think about it, when Lazarus died and he was resurrected, there's a really cool story in John 12. They had, they're throwing a dinner for Jesus. And there were a lot of people there, and it says that Lazarus was also there. And so a lot more people came because they wanted to see this guy who got raised from the dead. And it says this in verse uh, 12, John 12, 11. It says, because of him, Lazarus, many Jews went away and believed on Jesus because of what Lazarus was telling them. And so the Pharisees wanted to kill him. But I thought, when you think about it, it's like, Okay, so they go to see Jesus, and Lazarus is there. They're amazed. This guy was in hell for three days, and here he is. So what do you think Lazarus was telling him? Think about it. He's going, dudes, I saw Abraham. I saw Moses, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Miriam's there, Esther's there. They're all there. You should see this place. And they were only in paradise. Remember, Jesus hadn't died yet, so he hadn't ascended to heaven where they could be free to go there. So they're in this holding tank, and right across the schism, is is hell so i'm sure he's looking at both of them and going okay so i also saw hell and there's people there but i was over here with these guys and it's this is really scary and this is pretty cool and we're going up listen people got an earful they wanted to kill him he wasn't keeping his mouth shut people who have these anymore are not keeping their mouth shut that much it's really real okay so interesting john burke he's still he's still like looking in this topic so he reports out of thousands of near-death experiences, the one thing they all had in common was they just can't describe it. It's like, tell me how it was. They just, they're just about wordless. But I'm going to put up some, some of the best. It'll get, you, get the point across. So, Kyle, you ready? Okay. There are no human words that even come close. There are no words to express his divine presence. The kind of love that I experience cannot be expressed in words. As I was going through this, I kept thinking, well, when I was taking geometry, they always told me there are only three dimensions, and I always just accepted that. But they were wrong. There are more. And that's why it's so hard to tell you this. I have to describe it to you in words that are three-dimensional. That's as close as I can get to it, but it's really not adequate. And then the last one, I danced, I ran, feeling so joyful, and I marveled at the indescribable beauty around me. It was vast and open and beautiful. I could feel, touch, taste everything as if I had 50 senses. It was amazing. Amazing. And actually, I talked to Bob and Susan down here today, and he told me you could act, he, he started, you can actually taste colors. And I thought, I wouldn't be surprised. This guy goes, you have 50 senses? What are they? You know, so I was like, well, that tastes like lemon, so we'll see. 
but I, but I, but I, I believe that. So it's amazing. It's so amazing that most of these people, when you read this and study it, they do not want to come back. Please don't send me back. Please don't make me go. And they've had great lives, most of them. So there's another story about a lady named Dr. Mary Neal, a doctor. She and some friends were kayaking somewhere in South America, and she had a kayaking accident. And she can actually, you can see an hour video of her at a Calvary Chapel online. It's pretty interesting. So we have just a really short clip because it's very intriguing what happened to her. So Kyle, you ready? Hit it. Guideposts and Mysterious Way readers. I am Dr. Mary Neal, and I am a spine surgeon who happened to drown while kayaking, and I had a near-death experience. In 1999, my husband and I were kayaking in Chile, in South America, and we were kayaking a section of river that is well known for its waterfalls. And I don't mean Niagara Falls. I mean drops of 10 to 15 feet, which may still sound crazy to some people, but we had been kayaking for more than 20 years and this was well within our skill set and we were kayaking with professionals. And we came to one of the waterfalls and circumstances were such that I uh, had to abort my plans and go over the main part of the waterfall. And when I went over the top, I could see the bottom and I could see tremendous turbulence, tremendous uh, problems. <laughs> rocketed down and my boat and I became pinned or stuck in the underwater features and I and the boat were completely submerged under eight to ten feet of water and there was no getting out I tried everything I could to free the boat or free me from the boat and very quickly realized that I was probably going to die and at the moment that I asked God's will to be done I was immediately enveloped in Christ's arms, I was held and comforted and, and reassured that everything would be fine, regardless of whether I lived or died. And I was taken through a bit of a life review, and that was the first really profound experience for me because I had never really thought about death. If I had thought about a near-death experience, uh, I wouldn't have been able to imagine it. I wouldn't have even had any idea. But in this life review, we went through events in my life and what I realized is that it had absolutely nothing to do with judgment. It had everything to do with God's unimaginable love and grace. I was surprised to find that I didn't feel fear, I didn't feel panic, I had no sense of air hunger. And then my, my body was released from the kayak as my spirit broke free from my body. And I rose up and out of the river, and I could still see my body. I could still see earth. I could still hear my friends calling to me. But I was immediately greeted by a group of somethings, people, spirits, beings. I'm never quite sure what to call them. But I knew without doubt they had been sent by God. They were of God. They were there to welcome me and greet me and love me. And I had absolutely no intention of coming back. I had every reason in the world to come back. I have a wonderful husband. I had four little kids that I loved dearly. I had a great job, no issues, no nothing. Despite all of those reasons to come back, I had no intention of returning because I felt like I was absolutely home, where we all belong. And then they took me along this beautiful path that spoke to me. The thing that really moves my soul 
are colors and flowers and the aromas of flowers. And, and that's what I saw. And so we went along this path to this great dome structure that I knew was the point of no return. And I could hardly wait. It's all I wanted to do. And I was there for what felt like many, many hours. And then I was very disappointed to, as my kids would say, get kicked out. But what really happened is that the person who was sort of in charge of our little group turned to me and told me that it wasn't my time, that I had more work to do on earth and that I had to go back to my body. And I did ask why, because I didn't need to return. <laughs> uh, and they used that as an opportunity to begin to tell me about some of the things I still needed to do on earth. One of them had to do with the coming and unexpected death of my oldest son. And I was uh, really given expectations of how I was going to respond to his death and how I was going to not only continue to reflect God's love during that time, but use that as a way to help bring people to an understanding of uh, the beauty that comes not only out of life, but out of death. And I was also given this mandate to share my experiences with other people. watch the whole hour you can see it online it's pretty pretty amazing pretty amazing so remember the first guy we talked about George Ritchie he was the guy that was um, in the army he died he wrote one of the first books on it return from tomorrow he actually um, tells a really funny story I mean I think being in the presence of Jesus one of the reasons no one wants to come back it's just nothing but love fun joyful you know stuff like that we have all that here but not in the in the volume, I think that we're just going to overwhelmingly experience it in heaven. So George said, just like she does, no condemnation. He's in the presence of God. So Jesus goes, so, you know, George, like, what have you done with your life? Like, for other people. He knew that was it. So he goes, he's thinking. And remember, he's like, I think he's 20, 22, 20. And he goes, okay, I was an Eagle Scout. That's all he could come up with. And so he, he's like, no. And Jesus goes, I, I mean more like, you know, for other people. You know, that was more for you. He's like, yeah. So he's thinking. And then he thinks, oh, you know what? I just took out an insurance policy. So, like, when I get to be 70, I'll have, like, an income. And he goes, no, that's me again. And then he real quick goes, oh, no, I wonder if Jesus, like, knows what I'm thinking. And so he looks up at Jesus. And, he, like, Jesus is kind of jiggling and laughing. And he goes, yes, yes, he knows. You know, it's too late. It's out. The thought is out. And he said, but he never felt any condemnation, just what she said, just loving him. But it's like, what did you do with your life for other people? That's the question. All in love. You can imagine that. So George Ritchie wrote these three things. These are the questions that he said he was asked. What have you done with your life to show me? How much have you loved with your life? And have you loved others as I am loving you? Totally, unconditionally. And you know, that's hard. When you study stuff like this, it's like, I love people who love me. And the people who don't like me, who are, like, not nice to me, I'm not as nice to them. But I should be, right? I mean, how else are we going to convince them? It's like, no matter what I do to that chick, she always comes back and she's nice. That's harder than it seems to be when you're really faced with that. But those are the questions that we're going to be asked someday. I mean, I don't know if you have, any guys have gnarly neighbors. We've had them. But I think we're pretty nice for the most part anyway. <clears throat> okay. So here's the thing. <laughs> So here's the deal. 
So I want you to imagine, you know, here's your, your assignment is to be nice to people. But when you get to heaven, you have to realize God just loves us. And, like, you don't change how you look. We're going to look even better. But you're going to keep your brain. People go, well, I just, like, I think I'll be up there and, like, everything will be new. No, you have all your memories, your sense of humor, your personality. It's just on steroids. It's going to be even better than it has been down here on earth. All your emotions, your history, God does not wipe that stuff out. And it's almost like I heard a guy say once, if you, would, um, if you would go to college for four years and you go to graduation, and so we're all sitting there and you've worked really hard, but you didn't make summa cum laude and all that good stuff. So you're just sitting there, you got the little cap and gown thing and little tassel thing hanging down. You're just happy to be there. You put in four years of hard work and you're graduating from college. So great, Mr. Kuma Sum Laude, like knock yourself out, pastor, whoever. You studied hard, you deserve that. That's how heaven's going to be. We think in terms of, well, I'm going to be jealous like I should have done more. You don't have jealousy up there. You don't have, like, envy and pride. So it's like, well, ha-ha, I, like, I did better than you, and I get better rewards. This just isn't how heaven works. And it's so hard with the, with the framework of mind that we have here on earth not to think that way. Am I the only one thinking this? I'm trying to be really honest with you guys here. So, I mean, I, I want to go to heaven and go, I work really hard to get where I'm at. That's a human mentality. We're not going to have that. We're just going to be like, we're here. Is this so cool? And look who made look who made Mr. David. He's got the crown thing going. Good for him. So 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says this. We can see and understand only a little about God now, as if we were peering at his reflection in a poor mirror. But someday, we're going to see him in his completeness face to face. At present, all we know is a little fraction of the truth, but the time will come when I shall know it as fully as God now knows me. You know, I thought if you ever looked in a pond and you look down and see a reflection, it's really murky. It's like, yeah, I see me. I can see me pretty good, but you really can't. It's very murky. Imagine being that way with heaven and it just opens up. It's like clear as day. That's how it's going to be. There was an interesting story of a lady who had, as a young, ch- a younger, young, young person, had died, got into heaven, lived through the NDE, grew up, became an artist. And so she decided to draw a painting of what heaven looked like when she first entered in. And as this lady said, a lot of people have different inferences. I kind of think it's like, I mean, some people say they're met by Jesus. That little boy, heaven is for real. Like, Jesus is the first one. Others have said relatives were there. Others went in with gardens. A lot of different ways, I'm sure. Heaven's huge. So, but she went in with this beautiful, amazing garden flower scene. So she grew up, drew a picture of it, and one day she was telling her doctor about it. So he said, man, I'd love to have a reproduction of that for my office. She goes, I'll get you one. She had it reproduced, brought it to him. He hung it in his office. Sometime later, another lady came in, and she saw this painting and just, like, froze in front of it. Couldn't, couldn't take her eyes off it. And um, it's like, is everything okay? Doctor asked her. It's like, I know, I know where this is. I've been there. And he's thinking, yeah, you think you've been there, aren't you? Yeah. Well, what do you think that is? She goes, when I was five, I died, and I went to heaven. And that is exactly, she just couldn't take her eyes off. That is exactly what I saw. So it blew her, her away, blew him away. But that's the reality of what we're dealing with here. So one last story before we do questions and answers. There's a guy named Howard Storm, <clears throat> agnostic, doesn't even believe in God, not a breath. So he is the head professor of art at um, is it Southern Northern Kentucky University. And so one year, he gets all these students one summer, and they go to France. And they're going to visit all these different towns and look at all the museums in France for all the artwork. 
So they go to France. He takes his wife, takes all these students. So they're in this little rickety town in France, and he has a medical emergency. And as, as you recall, I read the story. I think he had a perforated colon, which they go pretty fast. <clears throat> so he's in this gnarly little hospital in some little town in France, not anything like America. And they're going, well, we're really sorry, Mr. Storm, but the doctor who can operate on you won't be in until Monday. And he's thinking, I'm dead. I'm dead. So it's like, okay, there's like nothing you can do to speed that up. Nope, be in on Monday. So he and his wife are in the room. They don't believe in God. They know he's going to die. There's no way he can live. You just don't live through those. And so they say goodbye to each other. They kind of cry, have their moment. He knows he's just going to die and nothing will happen. <clears throat> so pretty soon, um, these people come to his bedside and say, you need to come with us. So he's thinking, well, good. They are going to go ahead and take care of me after all. And it's funny. They don't have a wheelchair. But, you know, okay, I'll get it. And so he tries to wake his, his wife. His wife is like, nothing. So it's like, okay, well, I'll go with these guys. <clears throat> so they start walking down the hallway, and they kind of are walking fast, and he's thinking, well, this is kind of funny. We're, like, going on and on and on. It's like it's long corridor. So it's like, hey, can you guys slow down a little bit? And they start getting very gruff and rude with him. And so it's like, hey, I need you to slow down. And they turn around, look at him, and their, their whole face has changed. And now they're very demonic looking. <clears throat> and he's going, oh, this isn't going well. By then it's too late. He goes, I think I'm going to go back. It's like, no, you're, no, they're coming with us because they were demons. So they take him, and he knows he is going to hell. And so he's going on the way down. That's why this one guy said, there's many stories about hell is there are heaven. So they're on the way down, and he's going, oh, my God, this is all real. God is real. Heaven is real. Hell is real. And I'm on my way to hell. And he is going down. And so all he can do is go, okay, everything I've ever thought about God. He goes, I, I wouldn't say those, those things. So it's like, I'm on my money. In God we trust. God bless America. I mean, every little thing that he could think of, the Pledge of Allegiance with God in it, anything that had God in it, he tried to say and call on the name of the Lord. Sure enough, God shows up. I don't think he was quite there yet scoops him up and just loves on him so he kind of gets saved on the way up to heaven has an nde <clears throat> amazing story so i'm gonna show you a video in a minute but before i do so um he goes home resigns from being a head professor at the university in kentucky becomes a pastor they all do they just it's so life-changing for these guys it's like i have to become a pastor and so I'm watching TBN one day, which I rarely watch, but I was watching it, and Matt and Lori Crouch are on there, and they're interviewing this guy. So I kind of had it on. I'm listening, you know, with one ear, and I'm going, this story sounds really familiar, like this guy's talking about a near-death experience. And so I go to the to TV, and I look, and here's this guy. I never knew what he looked like. And he is, like, um, irritated and mad. I'll never forget. So I'm, I'm watching it going, Oh, he's really upset about some. <clears throat> and so finally, Matt Crouch stops him, and he goes, he goes, Howard, he goes, you act like you're really mad. Howard goes, I am, at, at me, <laughs> at Matt, you know? And he goes, oh, I'm sorry. I'm not, mad. I'm not really mad at you. It's just that, and this has to be very traumatic. He goes, I was almost in hell forever, forever, and it traumatized me. It's by the grace and love of God that I'm out he goes, why didn't more people tell me? That's what he was mad about with Matt. Why didn't people tell me? I had neighbors. I knew there were friends. They didn't tell me. And he was righteously mad about it. And honestly, 
kind of with good reason. So um, I came, this is a very short video. There's really long videos. This is him later in life, but it'll just give you an idea of um, him. So if you'd show that, Kyle. There's no hope, there's no way out. And I, I am in the um, bottom of the pit of hopelessness and despair and self-pity, whatever. In that, this memory comes of myself as a little boy sitting in a Sunday school classroom singing, Jesus Loves Me. And I could see myself vividly, so innocent, so sweet, so naive, simple, and feeling what I felt when I was like a little boy, like maybe eight or nine years old or whatever. Jesus loves me, this I know. That's what I kept hearing over and over again. But I had put all and put that all away behind me, beside me, and denied it all and mocked it all and um, and now all of a sudden, it was all I had. I had nothing else. I'm, scra I'm scraping the bottom of the barrel of what might be possible. So uh, I thought about that too, and I thought, he, why would he care about me? Even if he is, why would he care? He must hate me. I'm so sorry. And I thought, enough of this. I'm done. I don't have anything else. Jesus, please save me. And when I said that, I saw light, tiny little speck of light, and it very rapidly got very bright and came over me. And I saw out of the light, hands and arms emerge out of this impossibly beautiful white light. I was experiencing a love that is beyond, far beyond words. If, if, I, I've never been able to articulate it, but I can say that if I took all my experience of love in my entire life and could condense it into a moment, it still wouldn't begin to measure up to the intensity of this love that I was feeling. And those arms went on me and healed me. They went behind my back, and he picked me up as if it was no effort on his part. He just gently picked me up and held me up against him real tight, up against his chest. So there I am, with my arms around him, his arms around me, and I am bawling like a baby, and I am slobbering and snotting and drooling with my head buried in his chest, and he starts to rub my back. Like, he wasn't saying there, there, but it was just like, like a mom or a dad with a child. And I knew, I don't, I don't know how I knew, but I knew that he loved me very much, just the way I was. Later in this experience, we did a life review, and he made perfectly clear, clear what he did not like, and I can safely say despised, hated, detested about my, what I had done with my life, but he always loved me. And the reason why he didn't love what I did was because it detracted from who I was meant to be. So you can watch him. He has a big old long video, but very emotional. I bet he was a great pastor, you know, in the end. But I put this on your study sheet. For believers, this world is the worst it will ever be. For unbelievers, this world is the best it will ever be. And sadly, that will probably be so for a lot of people. C.S. Lewis said this. You know, because he wrestled with the idea of hell. He was an atheist turned um, Christian, but he said this, I believe that the damned are, in one sense, successful 
rebels to the end, that the doors of hell are locked from the inside to enjoy forever the horrible freedom from God that they have demanded. And I believe that too. So, you know, we all have a free will. And you can't make people, we, at the best, we can compel them. And, and like, please just listen. Like Steve's friend. Steve, I just don't want you to go to hell. Please come to, come to church with me tomorrow. And then C.S. Lewis said this too. Hell is God giving free eternal creatures what they want, freedom from him. And, and they, they get it. He's not going to make anybody. So when I think about all the times, you know, how Jesus, you have to kind of think, it's like if he wants us to love a certain way and unconditionally, did he do that? And yeah, he, he modeled it for us. You can remember the rich young ruler that came to him and said, what more do I have to do? And, and it says, Jesus looking at him loved him. I love that verse. It's like, you got one more thing you need to do. Just sell some of your stuff, follow me. I mean, was he saying, be one of my disciples? I don't know. I've always wondered that. And he didn't sell, say sell everything. Some, some translations say that, but he said, sell and then follow me. Let's do this. He loved him. And the prodigal son, the story that Jesus tells, here's his dad. This kid has taken all his inheritance, squandered it, lived a terrible sin for life, done awful things. And what does the dad do? He just, just come home. Just come home. I love you. I love you. That's the model that Jesus, Jesus modeled for us. And so he demonstrated unconditional love. And what happened? People flocked to him. They flocked to Jesus. They, he wasn't like the Pharisees and Sadducees shaking their finger and being hypocritical. He had crowds that were just unsurpassed back, back in that day because he loved them. So that's why John 13, 34 and 35, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have loved one for another. That is the main ingredient. So I have one PS, and then we're done. We're going to go to questions. And I just want to say this. I was back talking to Sharissa. We were loading all this stuff in, and we, we had a really interesting conversation. And I hear this question a lot. I don't know why it comes with this teaching, but we are talking like, what do you think about Hitler? Do you think Hitler could have been saved? And I go, yeah. And she goes, you think he was? I go, no. Um, <clears throat> and here's why. And you can't, if you can pick out one individual, Stalin, Hitler, Mao Zedong, any of those, say, well, everybody could get saved by the blood except him. The blood wasn't powerful enough to save that person. It's powerful enough to save anybody if they repent. I've only met a couple people. There was a guy who used to go here, Vic Kafarsha, bless his heart, years ago, World War II vet, saw a lot of really bad stuff, and he'd go, no, they, he couldn't be saved. And I go, V, I know he's fought in the war, but to say that is saying that the blood of Jesus isn't powerful enough to save me or to save gnarly old Bob. You know, <clears throat> it is that powerful. It could save him. Now, the thing is, and, and she, she was saying, well, we don't really know. I go, no, we don't. He could, Hitler could be in, ha in heaven. But looking, being a fruit inspector and judging from the word of God, his life, I would say it's probably doubtful. You know, um, Fred Price used to have that really great song before he'd open up his, his TV show, Evidence, Evidence. Will there be enough evidence? This is a great song to open up with. Is there enough evidence to convict you of being a Christian? Um, I don't think there's enough evidence with him. But, you know, you never know. Anybody can get rescued from hell. And then the other thing I wanted to um, point out, and it came up in one of the books I read, um, there's two women that, that um, had NDEs. One was a Muslim lady and one was a Jewish lady. Because Christians, people ask, well, can non-Christians go to heaven? They can go there. They just can't stay there. And so the Muslim lady had an NDE and acknowledged, oh, my gosh, it's Jesus, didn't want to come back, the whole, the whole bit. Came back, but her response was, but I'm Muslim, so I can't be believing in that. 
And then the Jewish lady, same thing, died, went to heaven, didn't want to come back. Oh, my gosh, Jesus, you're it, comes back. But I'm Jewish. Like, what would my family think? You know, I was thinking of the verse today, um, Bob, where is it, where it says, they voided out the word of God for the tradition of men. They nullified the word of God. It's like tradition and pride will hold people. And I had a, I have to tell you, I had a struggle with these. I go, how can a Muslim woman and a Jewish woman, even being raised in those faiths, once you see Jesus, you have a NDE. I mean, these are just amazing experiences. And come back and not want to tell your family and not yourself want to be saved. And I really had to, like, I don't get it. I don't get it. Holy Spirit. I mean, I, you know, you, you bug the Lord enough, he, he will finally go, okay, I'll tell you. So here's the answers I got, too. It's like, remember, I wrote them down. Remember the rich man and the poor man that both died, both Lazaruses. And so the, the poor man's, they're in, he's in the holding tank in paradise. The, the other Lazarus, the rich guy, is in hell. And he's like, send him over here, Abraham, and make him give me some water. It's like, no, and there's a big gulf. And then he goes, well, at least send somebody back to tell my brothers about this terrible place. I don't want them coming here. And remember what Abraham said? Even if we send somebody back from the dead, they won't believe. They have Moses. They've got the prophets. They have the word. They won't believe. People can be very stubborn on this. That's why I think love comes into it. It's like we will love you into the kingdom because debate uh, just won't do it a lot of times. And then the other thing I got reminded of, of was when Jesus was on earth, he raised the dead, healed the sick. I mean, people think it was just that one woman, the woman with the issue of blood touched his garment. Listen, I don't know why they pick out that one. You read the book of Luke. Oh, my gosh, there was an E. It says they in the evening, multitudes came out, and all they had to do was touch his garment, and they were healed. Multitudes. They all concentrated on this one lady. Multitudes touched him, and they were healed. They knew they could get healed. He cast out demons. He fed them. He taught them. They followed him everywhere. Here he is, the end of his days. He's on the Mount of Olives, overlooking Jerusalem, weeping weeping over the city. He goes, I gave you everything I had. I healed your babies. I loved on you guys. I cast out demons. I did everything I could. And he goes, just like a mother hen wants to bring her little chicks under her and with her, he goes, that's all I want to do was love on you guys. I'm your Messiah. And remember what it says? But they would not. But they would not. And that was that. So <clears throat> the best we can do is after a teaching like this is go, God, you said to compel compel people into your kingdom because hell is so real and heaven is so real all we can do is go i love you enough to tell you the truth i've done that with a friend she still didn't want anything to do with it her name is twig grew, grew up with her my whole life and um sit down with her one day i told her about the gospel and um she actually told my sister later, she says, you know, of all the friends I went to school with in college, she goes, your sister was the only one that sat me down and told me about the Lord, but she still wanted nothing to do with it. Uh, what do I do? I send her cards now and then, you know, Merry Christmas, Happy Birthday. I pray for her. I go, God, if it wasn't going to be me, send somebody else to her that will just say, okay, come to church with me. But all we can do is go, God, I want to compel people as much as I can. It's a terrible place to be, and that's the best place to be. And put, her, put this teaching on my tool belt and go, whatever this person, like Paul said, I want to be all things to all men that I may win some. So what is it you need? You need love? You need me to scare you? <laughs> you need me to encourage you? You need healing? Whatever. To, to win people to heaven. That's what it takes. So with all that, 
an earful, and there's a lot. If you want to do any extra reading, get online. It's a very interesting topic. It will encourage you. It will encourage you to witness. Okay, so there's our microphone. Go to the go to the mic. Go oh, the okay. Mic so okay, wait. She wants to know. Marilyn wants to know where you can find it. Look up. Um, get online and just look near death experiences. You can look up near death experiences heaven, near death death experiences hell. Look up the very names that we talked about tonight. Howard Stern has a whole hour. That lady that I showed has a whole hour. Howard Stern and then the lady doctor. What was her name? Storm. Storm. I'm so yes. Howard Stern. He still needs to get saved. Pray for him. <laughs> the lady's name was Dr. Mary Neal, and she did a presentation at a Calvary Chapel for a whole hour, which is very interesting. What was the question? Okay. I have a question. Um, it's not on. I see yeah, it. it's, it's on. Oh, my gosh. It's getting real quick. From what I see on, like, the shows that I'm seeing, I've had near-death experiences. I've had them three times. I have been so sensitive to mo to movies, to um, to what's going on in the world. Sometimes I can't stop crying, and I just want to know: Does this make you more sensitive to people? Because I know I'm an intercessor. I know I am, but. I became so much more sensitive after I had my near-death experience to God. 100% absolutely yes. Because I think any doubt, like we can all listen, but very few people have these. I wish, I was telling these guys today, I wish I'd go to sleep tonight and just, I don't want to be an accident. I don't want any gnarly stuff. Just let me float up, look the around. The love, the so, love yes. you feel is yeah. nothing I've ever felt. And I, I long for that because... 2015 when I had my heart attack that's when I felt the love of Christ and when I died I saw my mom and she was young and gorgeous she was 72 when she died and she said it's not your time you have to go back another thing you guys probably don't know but you know when you're dying you know because the second time I asked God if I could stay I want to see my kids grow up I begged him, and he, he listened to me, and he was so merciful. And I just want you guys to know the love that you feel is nothing you've ever felt on this earth. And I, I search for it. You know, I mean, I, I know I have it through God. But anyway, I just noticed that I'm a lot more sensitive to what's going on in the world and what happened yesterday. Just broke my heart with all those with that five-year-old kid and stuff but anyway yeah. it does make people more I, I don't see how it could not I mean it's like everything you thought about heaven was uh, validated Absolutely. you know there's um it, there's also a flip side to this where heaven can visit you um if you've ever been in the presence of the Lord where the presence of the Lord manifested and you didn't see a physical, tangible person. But the power of the presence is so strong that you, you feel you're touched by 
the presence of heaven. You don't see heaven. Matter of fact, my call to ministry was in that sense. I, I had an encounter that it wasn't an out-of-body experience, but I felt heaven, and I felt the presence of God. And it was an overwhelming, life-changing event. So even though you haven't died gone to heaven, you have to realize eternity in heaven is accessible from here. You can experience it. Don't make it your goal, but you can experience it. The presence of God was so strong, and Susie knows this. When I finally said yes to ministry, the presence of God came on me so strong that I kind of poured off on, onto my knees on, off a sofa in uh, Ben and Ann's house. And uh, the presence of God was so strong. And I began to laugh. And I was such a pre-Jesus, such a dark individual, such a dark human being with a lot of spiritual activity. And the presence of the Lord was so wonderful, so powerful, that I was probably there for an hour laughing, just laughing, not, you know, crazy laughing, just happy. Finally, I remember Ben saying, you have to go home. <laughs> and he put me in my Chevy Nova, and he said, Anaheim's that way. <laughs> See ya. And I drove off, and I remember the presence of the Lord being so strong that I had to beg him to back off. If you, if you keep doing this, you'll kill me. So this is not a near-death experience, but it's a near-eternity experience. You can experience heaven on earth, right? That's a genuine experience. So you don't make that your goal, but you're also open to it. And you're open to angelic presence. What did Jesus say to Philip? Philip, you will see angels ascending and descending. The presence of eternity is right here in this room. That's right here. I mean, it's tangible and it's touchable. And it's your goal. It's a part of what needs to take place inside you. So you don't have to die. Anybody else? John, you don't have one question. Send your daughter over. Is that it? Uh-oh. Here, David, you stay there. David, I'll use my mic. I'll save you the trip. Oh, okay. Um, as you know, I, I was sick in 2016. I had a, a liver and a kidney transplant. And um, on one of the things that they did when, at my liver was they put this stent thing in to um, filter more than what it was filtering. And so uh, they they did that, and then I was in intensive care for 13 days afterwards, and it was really traumatic. And I prayed day and night. Even there's nothing else. I have a tube down my throat. I can't do anything. And um, I could see. I, I just prayed, and I prayed. I said, Lord, you know every hair on my head all the way down to my feet. You know every hair. You know me as your friend, and I'm your friend. And he go, <laughs> all of a sudden, I felt this feeling over my right shoulder. And I looked up, and I went, oh, Lord. 
And he kind of smirked at me. <laughs> and he goes, yeah, this is Debbie, all right. <laughs> and uh, he goes, Debbie, I've got you. I've got you, Deb. And he says, if there's anything that you feel uncomfortable with, you just look up here, and I'm right here by your side. And so there, I don't know how many days later, but I, I felt it again, and I, I looked up there, and, and I he was there. And um, I didn't get to, t I didn't touch him or anything, you know, but I, he kind of smirked at me this time and he, and he winked his eye. He goes, I'm still here and I still got you, Deb. Don't worry about me. I'm here. And if you ever need me, you just look at me and I'll be there. And he's been there so many times. I just look and, and I go, thank you, Lord. Do you have a question? guy we had in uh, a couple of years ago, the guy who spent 20 minutes in hell. Yeah. We had him here, and we had the books. 23 minutes in hell. 23 minutes in hell. Excellent. Right. We, we had him here twice. Yeah. What was his Bill name? Weiss. Bill, Weiss. Bill Weiss. Thank you. Right. And I think you can probably see him on online, too. Oh, on yeah. the net. They're really good. 23 minutes in hell. A very good. vivid physical experience. Okay. Great book, John? by the way. Well, I've experienced several near-death experiences. Debbie, as she testified, even when when uh, she was in Room Melinda on ICU, and and uh, when I was in there with her, she was on the sixth floor with her liver leaving her, her liver dying out on her, and I was on the seventh floor with triple bypass, and. Prayer, we prayed constantly. I'm sure you did when you were there. But um, what I wanted to share with you, when I was with Debbie in, in that ICU, her heart rate went from like 70, 80, then it went boom, 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 kept going up. And I looked at her and I said, in the name of Jesus Christ, stop. And it went, shh, got back to normal. And about 15 minutes later, goes back up. In the name of Jesus Christ, stop. And it went back to normal. And all of a sudden, a nurse came in and said, something going on here? I says, he took care of everything. You have nothing to worry about. But what the, what the Lord just wanted me to share with you is, in the 90s, uh, I got a phone call, because all all, I grew up back in New Jersey, and all my family was back there. And my brother called me and said, Mom had a heart attack, and she's in the hospital, and they don't expect her to live. And we're not asking you to come back. I said, you don't have to ask. I'm coming, and uh, I want to be with her. Well, I got back to New Jersey, and I went in there to the ICU, and the nurse says, can I help you? I said, I'm here to be, for, be here with my mother, and I want to pray with her. Um, well, she's kind of brain dead on life support. Uh, she can't hear you. You don't know. And I says, let me, have, let me have access to my mother. So I went in there with her, and I prayed, and what can I do? And it was like, always pray, never give up on hope, and let your faith to his grace show in you. So I grabbed Mom's hand. I said, Mom, it's Johnny. Because everybody called me Johnny back there. Forget that, Bob. 
And uh, okay, Johnny. <laughs> so anyway, uh, I grabbed mom's arm and my, her hand and stuff, and I says, "Mom, I don't feel as though uh, you ever accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, but I'm asking you uh, to do that." And mom, can you hear me? And she squeezed my hand. And I says, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Mom. And I led her, in, led her with the sinner's prayer, asking her to accept Jesus into her heart and confess her sins. And I says, did you do that, Mom? And she opened her eye, and tears came down her face. And I said, thank you, Lord. He's with you. And, Mom, I'll see you again. You can't see me now. That was where I didn't have a real question, but that's where I, I want everybody to know, never give up on faith, your faith, your hope, and God's mercy. Amen. Amen. I, want, I want to ask you to do one last one. Thing. You can, you can ask, make a question or two, but remember the story of the lady who was down, and her relatives were all there. Tell that to you guys coming in. Tell. So <clears throat> Reader's Digest, uh, not Reader's Digest, uh, Wait, guidepost. One of their most requested articles is from the 40s. A lady was diagnosed with cancer, terminal, going to die, um, went to her sister's house to spend the, her last days. And so she said, I just have one request. I think God is going to really honor me in my, when I die and go home. I don't want any drugs. I want to experience death. <clears throat> okay. So the sister's at work one day. The doctor calls, to make a long story short, like, come home now. This is it. So the sister rushes home. And unbeknownst to the lady, I'll call her Jane, who's dying, Aunt Bess had passed away the week before. But they said, don't tell her about Aunt Bess. She's too sick. Just, you know, leave her alone. So Jane is in bed dying. The sister's there. The doctor's there. And so Jane, she kind of sits up. She goes, well, look at all the people in the room. And she goes, there's mom and dad. And she's naming all these people. And so the, the sister looks at the doctor. It's like, she's naming dead people. It's like, yeah, but she's naming them all. And then she goes, and what's Aunt Bess doing here, who had just died the week before? So they're, like, totally shocked. So they said, this lady sits up in bed, and she goes, I'm going up. And she goes, that's it. That's one of the most requested stories. I never forgot. I had it somewhere. I've looked. I can't find it. But in, in, a, in a nutshell, that's it. So pretty darn cool. It's, it's real. Carolyn. kind of similar to John's story, but uh, I got a call when I lived in California. My dad lived in Ohio, <coughs> and we got a call from my brother that my dad wasn't going to make it, and his blood he would have a heart attack, and the his uh, blood pressure was going down and down so low, and I called the hospital, and they said, I don't know if, I said, they don't know if you'll get here in time, and I got a flight right away, and they said, but you may not make it in time, and I prayed that Lord would keep him alive till I got there. My daughter at the time was going to the University of Cincinnati, and so she met me there up in uh, um, Canton, Ohio. And at the hospital, we went in, and he was on life support. And uh, I prayed, and I said, if you can hear me, you know, squeeze my hand, nothing. I laid my hand on his forehead, and I prayed that he would accept the Lord and everything, and prayed over him that, that he would. But, and he did last minute, but at the grace, I, he passed away then. They took him off of life support, and he passed away. And then 
at the graveside service, a man came up to me that I didn't know at all. And he said, was it, he wanted to tell me that when you prayed for your dad to accept the Lord, that God wanted me to tell you that he did. I think there's a lot of, you know, when the thief on the cross accepted the Lord, I mean, this guy, there's a verse in Ephesians that says they, they get in as yet by fire. It's like last minute, there's a lot of people that squeak in last minute. So, yeah, never hesitate to go. There's a lady that I knew, grew, grew up in Orange County with her name, Justina. Anti-God, didn't want anything to do with God. And I thought, when on her deathbed, I'm going to go down. So we lived out here. I heard she was in a nursing home and drove to Orange County. And I said, remember me, your old neighbor? She goes, yeah. And I just, I'm here to tell you about Jesus. So, I mean, never, never throw that out. People, when they get to the end of their life, things look a lot different. And they just do. Okay. And also, don't miss, uh, don't miss, well. John. <coughs> Is it a question? Okay. Well, come on. You're sitting over there smiling. I know you want to say something. Come on. Come on. Go over here and look, make yourself look pretty. <laughs> While he's going over there, just remember that whenever you have the chance, um, those of you that have been in any kind of medical service, military, uh, EMS, law enforcement, whatever the case is, when you get around a person that has just died, don't ever forget what you've heard tonight because you don't know that just at that point of death, that person isn't wondering where somebody just call them back. Call them back. Say, well, you can't call people back from the dead. Well, unless they're totally checked out, Jesus did. Lazarus is as dead as you could have gotten. Okay, before you go, just stand there and look pretty, as Bob said. Schombach, how many remember Schombach? Remember that guy? He, he told the story. He was having a meeting. They were cooking. This guy dies in his service. And he's thinking, you don't know Schombach. He was just a character. Can't believe this guy died in my service. Hey, ushers, get that guy, put him back behind the curtain. So while they're putting him back, he prays, God, in Jesus' name, just resurrect that man, blah, 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 blah. They forget all about him. I don't know how in the heck they forget about a dead body back behind the curtain, but they all forgot about the dead body back there. So the next day, they come back to finish, you know, they're having a conference. So he said he's up at the podium getting ready to start, and this man is running towards him, grinning and waving, and he's thinking, who is this guy? He goes, remember me? I was the guy that died in your service last night. He goes, you guys throw me backstage. And he goes, I'm going down to hell, and I hear you start praying for me and calling me back to life. Just what Bob said happened. He comes back and gets saved, and there he is in the service. So I, I, I can't explain it other than that's what happened. And I believe Sean Buck. Uh, just Stay wanted to <clears throat> didn't really have a question, just a statement. Um, I was moved by your your testimony, and I uh, just want you to know, and the people in here, um, I'm retired, so I have nothing to do but work around my house. Uh, my, my wife will give me chores, and I can do them, and then what do I do on my off time? Well, I do a lot of research. I just want you to know that God's in charge. Nothing's going to change that. And the, in the war that we are in, we've already won. We're just going through, in my opinion, we're just going through a pantomime. But just know God, God's in charge, and his, his kingdom will be done at, on earth as it is in heaven. So just remember that. And you know what? You don't have to fear death. There's nothing to be afraid of. 
people say, oh, I'm, you know, when it comes to truth, stop being afraid of it. Stop being afraid of it. You're going to get a chance to be courageous the way America's going right now. You're going to get a real, and, and think of the people in the New Testament that were martyred and gladly did so without reservation or hesitation or malice of thought. They gave themselves. They simply said, I'll die for the truth. Why, why in the world would they do that? Because they had an understanding of heaven. They knew where they were going, and they were ready for it. So that's the most important thing you could do. You want to add anything else, Leah? That's it? Okay, when we go from here, the next time you get, a, get around the dead body, attack it! <laughs> you know what I mean. Not to, I, I probably shouldn't have said it that way, but you know what? I mean, listen, last time we went through the chaplain's program and uh, uh, the, um, for the police department, they sent us to the FBI, uh, uh, San, Diego's, uh, San Diego's coroner's office. That's where the FBI on the West Coast uses largest, most high-tech coroner's office. And uh, we were in there with a bunch of pastors, and we stood around in that room full of, and the cooler full of dead bodies knowing that how many of these people, you know, and we honestly looked at each other and said, why don't we just agree, just one? And you think, well, we were, were we joking? No, we were really serious. You know that God can raise people that have decomposed, okay? So hey, let's hey just on. real quick, I got to stay there. Andrew Womack, Carolyn and I are listening to his stuff. Yeah, he had a son that died five hours later, right? They were overseas. Okay. Okay. Other son had passed away. So on the way, they started praying. You know, it's the hospital all the, the way praying to the morgue. Got there, he had a toe tag on him. He was black. He'd been dead for five hours. And brought him back to life. He got raised up in the morgue in the little drawer. Okay, hit it, Megan. Hi. Um, this feels like such a baby Christian question, but how do we love people unconditionally without allowing it to corrupt ourselves? How do we love people unconditionally without it allowing it to corrupt ourselves? Um, like friends that, I mean, you, I didn't. Well, you have to be discerning, you know, you don't cross a line mm -hmm. emotionally, physically, spiritually, mm -hmm. in any form. If you cross a moral line, compromise yourself. I would say this too. If you don't do it through Jesus Christ, you can't do it. You can't. And so when you look again yeah. at the life of Jesus, it's like it says the Father himself wishes that none be lost. I mean, you would think at least the people that tacked him up on the cross is like, but those guys send them to hell. He wishes none be lost. I mean, that's why that one soldier could stand there and go, surely this is the Son of God. Even when Jesus was dying, I think he's get, he, he watches one thief get saved. Jesus forgive everybody, have enough presence of mind to turn his mom over to John to take care of her. I think, I think when you look at the life of Jesus and how he did it, you can do it. You just have to do it through the Holy Spirit. All right. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the fact that we have eternal life. It's real. We're living in it right now. The only thing between us and experiencing full eternity is our body. When you're done with our body, we look forward to going home. 
Until then, help us tell everybody everything from the housetops. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we love you. God bless you. Adios, amigos. Vaya con Dios.